Welcome to the Red Dot Show, a podcast featuring misfits, entrepreneurs, and creatives in Southeast Asia and beyond. I like to tell the human stories about what drives and motivates them and about the impact they are making in this part of the world. For this week's episode, we're going to talk to Isaac Ho and Jeffrey Ling of VentureCraft about how they're going to change the way they invest and grow businesses in this post-COVID-19 landscape. I've known Isaac Ho for some time with VentureCraft, uh, which is no stranger to the medtech space here in Singapore. They've most recently invested in Merexis, a startup which is now on the forefront of the COVID-19 fight. Uh, they've been producing test kits for Singapore and exporting it to many countries uh, worldwide. And also, I've known Jeffrey for some time. Uh, he's well-known with the Taiwanese startup ecosystem. And most recently, he helped out with an Accelerate program in New Zealand. So, welcome, gentlemen, to the show. Uh, would you want to give, give us a short introduction about what VentureCraft and Ref is up to? Okay, hi, guys. Uh, you know, it's really good that we get together during this time. Uh, Jeffrey is in New Zealand, while both of us is in Singapore, but feels like countries apart, you know. So, um, just a quick introduction. Uh, I, I started off as a venture capital uh, that is during around 2014 when uh, there was a particular need in Singapore for ex- additional fundings to help companies who has received government grants. And so it's something like a bridging loan. We started off as seed investor. Um, this actually involves and become a government-approved accelerator specialized in medical technologies. Um, thereafter, we, we actually piloted what we call Venture Builder. So for the last few years, we actually uh, started to go deep into companies. Uh, we don't invest a lot. Uh, we invest about 12 uh, startups. Uh, we have two that's already listed in NASDAQ, uh, one on the way to IPO, sorry, two on the way to IPO. So what we do is we really get uh, very much involved. Uh, we actually jump in, help with the companies, then after that, help them to reach revenue. Uh, so that is just a quick intro about myself. Thanks, Isaac. And uh, Jeffrey, uh, give us a short uh, kind of intro on, on what brought you to New Zealand and what you're up to right now. Right. Hi, hi everyone. Uh, uh, the name is Jeffrey. And, uh, I'm originally actually from Malaysia, so I'm not that far away from Singapore. Uh, I was uh, in Taiwan for 12 years. Uh, during that time, I did a lot of startup stuff. I was in three startups, and I was in an organization called Taiwan Startup Stadium, helping a lot of startups going global. And so I have, um, from those experience, a lot of uh, uh, encounters with different founders. And that's how I got to where I am right now, which is all about helping startups, you know, with building their businesses. And now that I'm in New Zealand, because of, you know, I was in New Zealand for many, many years ago. So this is like coming back. And last year when I was here, I was doing an accelerator myself. Uh, so it is... It, it, it's a lot of uh, getting into the ecosystem here in New Zealand. And after that, uh, from there to now, I'm, I'm getting back to what I really love doing, which is helping other startups uh, with anything that they have on their mind. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot of hands-on uh, stuff that I do with for startups, whether it be business development, uh, you know, operational advice, uh, uh, fundraising. So that's a whole lot of stuff uh, related to startups. And this also coincides with uh, a lot of things that Rev is going to be all about. 
So, Isaac, would you want to share with us a little bit about what VentureCraft and Merexis is doing and uh, give us a short background and introduction about your the work that you've done and what you're working towards? Okay, so, um, of course, the most exciting startup that we have, or I would say a company that we have, is Merexis, which is also the first manufacturer of the COVID-19 detection kit that is used uh, basically the majority of Singapore and also for around more than 10 co- uh, nations in the world. Um, one of the things that we did is uh, we saw the company when they were raising their seed investment in somewhere around 2016. Uh, that was when they are all about a platform company. They are having this particular technology. In layman terms, they are like having an operating system that is able to help companies detect or pharma companies detect viruses, detect uh, specific usage and all this stuff. So last few years, they actually went or their first product from laboratory research is actually early gastric cancer detection. So by far, and even until now, uh, they have the first in the world uh, lab to uh, go to market and uh, Singapore HSA approved a product that's able to tell uh, accurately or I would say that high accuracy, whether a person has uh, early gastric cancer or not. So what we did was um, in 2018, so we decided to participate in their Series A and they were raising um, around 20, 30 million. And we decided that why not we do a major venture build? So we actually raised uh, together with another investor and we put in total 40 million US dollars and we went in. Uh, I took on the role of as a co-CEO just for a short while. Then now I'm actually helping them expand the business to Japan, uh, to other places. And very much this company is on the way to IPO. Um, now we are actually helping them to find the key uh, investors and also the key management who comes in to help them to structure this. So when we were looking at companies, uh, one of the main important thing is whether this company can scale. Um, not so much on valuation. I think, I think nowadays everybody is a bit tired of hearing valuations. Uh, people is starting to look and say that, hey, show me the money, especially after what we are going through right now. Uh, businesses are looking for cash runway. People is looking at seeing whether they can survive this tight at this moment. So what we actually look for right now are companies that are defensible, as in they know their route to revenue. I think it's back to the old business sense, right? You better make money rather than you shout on paper that you are worth 100 or even a billion dollars. So basically now we are actually looking for companies that really have good business sense. Yeah. Thanks, Isaac. Um, and maybe over to Jeffrey. Uh, your, your background you know, in the accelerator space and in the startup ecosystem in Taiwan, uh, you know, there's also kind of a pivot, right? Like, like do you see a pivot from like valuation-focused investments to you know, more, more like, like less value-like, so to speak. Um, like what are your thoughts on, on, on that? Uh, yeah, speaking uh, on, uh, for Taiwan, first and foremost, uh, you know, there has always been a focus on revenue uh, to begin with because uh, it's a relatively smaller market. Uh, unless you're talking about a bigger market, then, you know, you scale as fast as you can before, you know, you talk, you talk about, you know, making money. Uh, but, you know, in a lot of the situation, uh, the founders over there, it's mostly about how do I make money from day one? It's kind of like being pushed on by the investors to do so. Uh, there are some exceptions that do think a lot more like the, those that their counterparts in the States, their counterparts in China, where, you know, scaling is, you know, everything. 
Uh, so in Taiwan, people are more, you know, like feet on the ground. So it's, you know, how do I, how do you make money? Uh, that, that, no, so, so that that's that's a more common thing that we uh, we encounter in Taiwan than any than anywhere else. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that a lot of the startups know how to make money from day one. Obviously, they need to. Uh, you know, the thing about Taiwan is that they know how to make product very very well. But when it comes to selling it to the world, it's a different story. And so there's a lot of uh, time when I, when I was there uh, working with startups, I was helping them to you know get through uh, that uh, mind blocks like oh how do you go from building just a product to building a business? Okay, uh, coming back to New Zealand, I think the same situation uh, applies to uh, applies to uh, the startups here even more so because New Zealand is uh, so much more so much so much more smaller market compared to other you know uh, countries. Uh, and obviously not as small as, uh, as Singapore, but because it's so far away from the rest of the world. So a lot of the uh, emphasis here is also, again, pushed on by uh, the, the investor saying, hey, you have to make money from day one. Okay, it's, it's not global from day one. It's, you know, make money from day one. So over here, when you meet, meet the startups, uh, a lot of them also have the same mindset. How do I make money from day one? I'm not, I'm not really thinking about, you know, the U.S. market, you know, the holy grail, uh, the global market uh, right now. But uh, that doesn't say that they don't really look at the global market. Uh, it's just that they are more practical and more pragmatic in terms of uh, how do I survive from day one before I talk, uh, think about, you know, leaps and bounds, you know, going somewhere else. So, so from the two, the two markets, I have a very strong sense that, hey, revenue is really important. Uh, because it doesn't matter uh, how many users you got, if you don't have revenue, uh, some of the investors don't just don't really care, especially those from your own market. And uh, so that's where I'm coming from. Isaac, can you share with us your experience working in the med tech sector? I understand it's a highly regulated and difficult industry to be in, but I also know that there's a lot of research uh, that is going to market and especially in a time like this with COVID-19, there are bound to be opportunities at hand. Uh, share with us a little bit of the gaps and the opportunities that you see. Okay, I think to begin with, um, yeah, MedTech, uh, let's not even talk about pharma. Okay, pharma or therapeutics, we talk about treatment and drugs. Uh, let's just talk about medical devices, okay, diagnostics, uh, this is really a tough space, tough, tough to the extent that, um, you know, most of the companies that come out from research and mostly they come out from universities and they are looking at a specific usage of a particular technology. So, for example, um, in our own experience, when we came out with early gastric cancer, and that was a collaboration with our uh, NUHS, uh, right now the chief executive, who is the principal investigator. We thought we are, hooray, you know, we got a killer product. We are able to save the world from early uh, gastric cancer. Then when we pushed out last year uh, in, uh, uh, together with the grassroots, um, then we found that, hey, anybody who wants to draw a blood, right, a blood tube, does not want just to know one cancer. They want to know overall. Am I okay? Am I all right? Or am I not? You know, they, they are not concerned with just one. They want to know every cancer. So we realized that in MedTech, many of us is trying to solve one or the product is single solution where, you know, it's, it's just the same thing, right? If we walk into the hospital, you, you don't want people to tell you, hey, your eyes are okay, but your mouth are not. 
your hands are okay, but your legs are not. You know, they, you want to have a check on the bill, health bill. So that's the main thing. A lot of um, startups, they came up with really earth-shakening technologies that will change how a single disease. But, you know, we as human beings, we really don't care a single disease. We want to know that overall I'm okay. Tell me everything. You know, I, I don't want just to know that I'm, I'm all right in particular one thing. So this is one of the biggest challenge because um, there used to be a magical number called 15 million US dollars. This number is given by the US folks that most of the med tech companies, when they have a device, whether is it a hip joint or artificial uh, uh, joint or whatever, you need to crack the regula- uh, regulatory and you need to prove you can make 15 million one five of revenue before a big pharma company will say, okay, let me buy you up. And this is getting... Uh, I would say a very difficult task because of the different insurance systems that the US have, the U, uh, especially in this part of the world, Singapore and, and Southeast Asia, where we don't have a uniform system. So that is a single product versus a total solution. That's one thing. The second part is many times we wrestle with scientists. You know, uh, it's very rare to find a scientist who is also a good businessman. So they will love research, but this is where they are really good at. So when you want to push them to a, a, a commercialization, you know, you have a lot of struggle because, you know, sometimes marketing, we do say certain things to make sure that the user understands. Uh, but as a scientist, you want to be right down to the decimal point. And to the user, hey, I don't need to know this. So there's a wrestling between culture. Uh, the last one is actually the tripartite relationship between a country's regulation um, basically the health sector, which is your doctors and the academia. And also, uh, I would say it's the health economics. Many of the startups in our space, they did not realize uh, the importance of health economics, how a nation health budget is. So it's not good enough to say that, uh, just like COVID-19 right now, right? Uh, can you imagine if everybody were assess to a test? And a test is cost maybe between somewhere US dollars, $20, let's say. You know, the amount of people who, let's say, they are not high risk and they come for testing. Number one, you crash the hospital system. Number two, the, the, um, if it's not totally accurate, the nation has to spend a lot of money trying to move people who does not have COVID, you know, out of that high range where, you know, you have to throw a lot more uh, money to make sure they are, they are okay, you know, they are being protected or they are being prevented. So this is a health economics thing that how much are you really saving for the nations? So with all these things come in, I would say that medtech is very tough here. You know, I will always suggest that any medtech companies, either you switch to healthcare services, make your product into a solution, or quickly go to the U.S., that's, a, that's very interesting also because the mode of like regulation, there's multiple, no, multiple barriers to entry. I, I think, you know, for Southeast Asia, uh, you know, being a doctor is quite lucrative in a sense to also make the jump to want to be an entrepreneur. So you, you, you rarely see these, the doctors creating their jobs to be entrepreneur, although, uh, you know, that's, that's becoming more common. But, and, and maybe to Jeffrey, like, like from your experience, from the other side, working with entrepreneurs, right? Um, you know, it's really tough to find uh, entrepreneurs with a deep domain expertise, right? Like, like finding a, a, a perfect team of somebody who's a hacker, hipster, and a hustler, right? Like perfect team, it's tough. Um, having been through the accelerator, you know, what, what needs to be improved? And 
perhaps with medtech and, and other industries that are that have lots of barriers to entry what what do you think are some some things that need to be improved uh, is it more like like sharing of knowledge uh, or is it more uh, policies like what, what do you think in your opinion are some of the things that we need to kind of reinvent to to make uh, make the success rate a, a little higher uh, oh well doing a startup is not exactly science sometimes uh, so how do you ensure success rate? Uh, there's a lot of factors going to play, and it's, it's just no one, you know, fixed formula. One, one, you know, set of, you know, the so-called formula, success formula may work for a certain group of people, may not be so for other people. Uh, but obviously, the more factors, the more the so-called success factors that you have, the more likely you, you're going to be more successful uh, in, 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 you know, in building a startup. The other thing is that just because you were successful with your first startup doesn't mean that you're going to be successful successful with the next one, although the chances are going to be more successful than not. Okay, so it, 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 it really depends on a whole lot of the moving, you know, moving fact, uh, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of factors at play. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, there's so many things like we can talk about, like how do you become a, a, a fail-proof a fail uh, entrepreneur, which is not really, you know, something that is real and existing. But uh, there's a lot of things you can learn uh, to become uh, you know, somewhat fail proof in a sense, uh, or you know, you know, fail faster, and then so they can reach success much quicker. Uh, you know, it really, uh, oftentimes, it really uh, uh, calls on you to drop a lot of the existing uh, know-how that you have about how to run a business. Okay, uh, I think a lot of people uh, that I spoke to, especially the founders, uh, I think they they did one of the biggest. Uh, uh, shortfall they have is that they think that building a, a startup is actually about building a product, which is not true. Building a startup is about building a business. Okay, you have to make money one way or another. If you are not building a business, if you just have a product, then you know you're not really going very far. Uh, so, so if we talk, if we if we talk about building a business, obviously you can't rely on yourself alone. Uh, there has to be a team, and the team has to be growing, in, not just in size, but also in different expertise. So, so you know, it requires a lot for someone to want to build uh, a business, you know, when, because a lot of people don't have that kind of experience to start with. We don't really learn a lot of things from school. Like we don't learn how to build a product, you know, some oftentimes because I, I you know, I study, uh, uh, you know, uh, economics at school. I study law at school. And, and so for me, how do you start a business that is very mind boggling to me for some time before I finally made my, you know, first step into the startup world. Uh, it took me a lot of time, it took me a lot of readings and, and a lot of uncertainties. Um, but so, so and, and the other thing is just, uh, after you've been in the startup environment for a while, how do you actually build a team, right? Again, we're not really taught at school about how to build a team. So there's a lot of fumbling going on before you actually arrive at the right formula for yourself. You know, it's not, it's not something like you can learn from someone what someone else has done and then apply that, plug that into your situation. That's not how it, how it works. So there's so many things we can talk about. Thanks, really. Thanks for that. And, and, you know, I think that's also kind of like looking at a more ecosystem level, right? Like the, the, there's an ecosystem for universities, incubators, accelerators, uh, you know, and then now you got like seed funds and then Series A funds. And, and like we see how that kind of progressed in Southeast Asia, like over the last 10 years, we've seen a tremendous amount of growth. I think there's an element there, which is uh, the human capital, like, like you need 
the entrepreneurial thinking, right? Even in the employees or early startups, you need like very metric-driven founders who are good at fundraising, who are good at selling, right? I think I think the 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 big picture here is uh, COVID nineteen, right? I think you know it's going to be a game changer. It's already impacted us in a very unprecedented way, uh, and 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 in every crisis, you know, there there are bound to be changes that's going to take place. There'll be bound to be new opportunities, uh, new solutions, right? We've seen how the lights of the sharing economy kind of took off, right, in the Great Financial Recession in 2008-2009. Uh, what, what are some of your thoughts towards this? And maybe Jeff, Jeff uh, uh, maybe Isaac, you can, you, you, you can start. Like, like COVID-19, obviously, there's a healthcare element. Uh, obviously, it highlights the inefficiencies, right, of healthcare, the, the distribution of healthcare, um, and also the inadequacies of you know the the fact that we 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 are going down to building ventilators, right? Uh, uh, very uh, hardware and uh, hacking ventilators. I think it shows maybe there there is a new way forward post COVID nineteen that startups, corporates, uh, medical uh, bodies can come together to 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 create better solutions. So we'd love to hear your thoughts and how does that kind of link to your ideas on Ref? Yeah, so um, we have always been trying to crystal ball. You know, when COVID happens, um, I think especially now in Singapore, most of us all stay at home. Um, I think that a lot of things will start to see or accelerate. Like for example, um, online, I think Zoom right now is a buzzword uh, that everybody uses. You know, we are going to get very used to how to be on online and forget about going out and meet each other. I think because of that, uh, many things will start to, uh, people will start to be very aware how are you going to be generating value through the net? You know, we talk about, you know, hustling over the net and all these things, but I think the behavior is going to be changed because everyone is going to be so distracted and bombarded by content. That's one thing. The other one is, uh, you know, I was just talking to Jeffrey the other day. Uh, companies might not want to rent um, huge places. You know, last time when investors come and visit us or potential LPs or potential people that wants to size us up, you know, we definitely have to rent the Class A uh, office space. Huge reception, very nice. You know, if, if we get our way, we'll go play the whole entire place to let people see, wow, you know, we are here. Got to hire many people just to see that, you know, we are very established. But I think this, this is going to uh, change in a certain way that right now, the virtual office or the experience, how people goes into a virtual space and you are able to brand yourself in such a way that you bring confidence that is going to also be one way. So we, we might be seeing quite a fair bit of companies right now going to rebrand themselves on the net. How are they going to bring confidence to people? The second thing is the available of human capital. I think this human capital is going to be explosive or rearranged. Um, people, not too sure whether is it going to be such a case that uh, especially Asians, we will be more and more used to not the regular nine-to-five jobs, you know, or stability jobs is no longer... It's, it's getting less prioritized, you know, and there's going to be a freed up place that people is going to get used to Zoom or working online or remotely. And we might be able to pull things together, you know. So, so one of the things that we, we keep on thinking is how do we able to convince different partners to join in our new platform called REF, uh, which we will say about later on. Because everybody can be in different places, but now we are, we are being forced into a situation of using Zoom to be able to tap into everybody's expertise 
How do we put it together to help a company in Australia, help a company in US, help a company in China to expand their businesses or even fundraising through that? I think this is going to be how it's going to go. Healthcare definitely is one of the sector. In fact, insure tech is going to be one of the sectors that's going to do. We also be looking at many of the essential services, like, you know, I was just talking to my, my, my hairdresser friend, you know, I said that, well, maybe you're going to need, you're going to need WeWork. <laughs> You're going to need a booth where you just come in, cut and go, rather than you have a big overhead, you know, a saloon and all this stuff. I think many of the essential services is going to be relooked at. Uh, there's going to be many human capital that is going to start pivoting from whatever they're doing. So there's going to be quite a big opportunity that's going to come up. Thanks for that. I, I think I think one one of the areas, I think there are a lot of many venture builders or branded venture builders out there. And a lot of the ways you're looking at is either... Uh, you know, corporate innovation types where, you know, they are solving pain points for, for uh, corporate uh, multinationals. Uh, and a lot of it is more about innovation sprints, right? Like going to market, uh, having a project, uh, doing design thinking, lean startup, just to learn about accessibility. Um, I, I think, and, and so on that, like how is REF different? Uh, I, I, I hear, you know, from our discussions that you bring not just your investment uh, experience and also your money to invest in these projects, um, but you're also matching the community, right? Like you're matching uh, the, the, like, let's say if you were to roll something out in MedTech, um, there's already established relationships with, with the medical fraternity. Um, you are helping uh, a, a founder kind of like scale their, their product to the market in a systematic way. And I hear also there's, there's this thing about aligning incentives, right? So uh, maybe Isaac, can you share a little bit about what's the secret sauce? Uh, why, why is REF different from all other venture builders and other projects besides just the emphasis on revenue? Okay, the main difference is the ecosystem or the asset we ourselves own, uh, which is very different. Like, for example, for healthcare, which uh, because of where VentureCraft has started also many years, we actually have our own uh, basically laboratories and also the network to carry out uh, partnership tests. For example, um, just take the case of Moraxis, which is also an investment from uh, VentureCraft, right? So currently, if let's say uh, what Moraxis right now have for COVID-19, is the gold standard uh, RT-PCR test okay, that is performed in the hospital. Now, moving forward, uh, I think the world is going to go for rapid testing, what we call point-of-care testing, POCT. Uh, this is going to be those that you can use at borders. But currently, Moraxis does not have the capabilities uh, because all our workflow and investments is in the gold standard lab test. However, let's say today there is a startup from Malaysia and they have a very good technology or high accuracy in POCT and they need to scale Guess what? Moraxis already have the place, the clientele to be able to scale. That's one thing. So quickly they come in within a quick setup of the workflow. We are able to help them to register uh, registration for regulatory approval. Number two, immediately they go into our customer base, which is more than 10 nations. Okay, or even as Singapore as a base. That's one. Secondly, we are investing in a health uh, telehealth company. That itself considered that uh, now we have the telehealth resources. Like, for example, uh, in the coming uh, one, two weeks, we are going to launch a social challenge on pill delivery because we think that um, there's many elderly folks that doesn't understand English uh, in Singapore. And asking them to use telehealth is very painful. So how are we going to hack a problem? Um, but this problem is going to be in our telehealth platform. So once uh, somebody has an idea, 
ideation or somebody has a product, immediately they fit into our telehealth where we will actually roll out. So you can see whether they are able to fit into our workflow, a telehealth workflow, number one. Number two, instantly we can test whether or not this product is able to have revenue because instantly people will pay for it. We also have built um, networks of uh, clinics. So immediately our tests, we can roll out with a doctor prescription. That is something very important. So they do not need to convince any more doctors because these doctors already know. Now, the most importantly is we have our own clientele. So this clientele, we are managing their health. So they are, you know, in exchange, they actually help us to, to look at new innovative tests and sometimes they volunteer for it. So with this, we already have able to tell a new company or product that comes into our ecosystem, okay, or come into our asset. And we say that, look, your product is overpriced. No one is going to buy it for $1,000. Your, your best pricing is $99, under $100. We are able to tell them what is the best price to scale. Or if not, we are telling them that, look, our, the user experience, after they've gone through with our actual clients, the feedback is the user experience sucks. So you need to do something before we can come out again. So I guess this is the main valuable thing. We are not like a strict agency or consultant that simply tell you high level, look, plan A, do a sprint, plan B, incubate, plan C, accelerate. We are saying that we have the actual asset or partnership immediately fit it in. Immediately, we can tell you yes and no. Do something to your product, change the process, fit it in, and we scale Let's work on the fundraising part. We will put the money inside. Then we will see whether to how do we arrange a buyout or we arrange for it to actually grow and go for IPO or exits. So that's the main difference I think we have. Uh, just uh, something short, uh, just to uh, you know, uh, add a little bit of things to what uh, Isaac said. Uh, I think, like I said earlier, that revenue is uh, always going to be the most critical thing to every businesses. Uh, if you're a business that doesn't make money you know, in the long, long run, you're not going to be able to be a viable one, viable business after all. Uh, and, and so, so this is something that I've grown to become passionate at, and this is also something Rev represents, uh, that we want to instill this uh, idea that revenue is actually going to be the thing that you need to look at from here going forward. Uh, because of you know, COVID-19 actually makes it very clear that if you don't have money to survive, you can't make money. You know, if the business can't stop making money, there's no reason that it can continue to go on, uh, especially when investment money also somewhat dries up. And so the only way you can stay on your own feet, on two feet, is actually you know, make, making your own money. And so we want to make this uh, a priority for, for what we do and also something that we want the, 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 the you know, founders that we're helping. Uh, to really focus on because if they can you know wrap up their revenue to uh, a, a satisfactory extent then there is chance for them to see their own exit right because a lot of us uh, have actually lost sight about uh, the exit where do you want exit to be do you want to you know go ipo do you want to sell it do you want to you know what, what what's, what's, your, what's your plan for, for your business uh but whatever it is you have to make money uh, and so this is what we want to, to do. I mean, helping startups make money uh, in, in, in through many, many ways that we have uh, a, a lot of uh, tricks and techniques that we have under our sleeves. Uh, so, this is, you know, so this is uh, what REF uh, will be uh, and helping startups going to that level, you know, from, from where they are right now to that level, but not through valuation, but through, you know, revenue, first and foremost. Maybe share a little bit, like Jeff and Isaac, like what would be your roles, you know, uh, for this ref, 
and and you know how we how, how what are the roles in terms of and sectors? I, I obviously medtech is going to be one. What are some of the industries they're looking for, and how would uh, you know entrepreneurs approach you? How how would it look like? Yeah. So I am not particularly um, laser focused on medical technology because uh, I think from the start. Um, after so many years of inside this game, we realized that this is really not easy. But what we do is that we are into the healthcare service sector. So what we do is we look at medtech products that the founder also agrees that they will uh, work with us to be able to come out a solution that can fit into healthcare service. So this is the part that um, the space of the regulatory is, is um, easier to navigate. That's number one. Number two, it's very quick to know whether your product uh, is a solution and that commands revenue. Like what you said, we have 36, uh, 36 months to gauge whether a company can make it or not. That's our commitment. Um, so this is the main thing that we actually look at. So I think where we, we come in is that uh, for myself, I'm actually anchoring the healthcare service side because ultimately that's where I believe the scaling, uh, scalability part is for subvisation. So it's on healthcare. Uh, my part obviously is not so healthy, healthcare focused uh, because I don't have really have that kind of background. But my background is uh, in things such as uh, enterprise SaaS, uh, uh, general you know internet businesses, uh, and, and so forth. So so that actually covers still covers a lot of ground. And of course, you know, uh, so for any uh, founders that are interested uh, in, in you know in, in any kind of you know startup verticals. Uh, it, you know, it's a matter of us discussing with the startup founders that you know, are uh, these something that we are able to help? You know, because we did, we do have our own you know resources, not just in Singapore, but we're talking about uh, APEC wide. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know uh, resources we can tap into. Uh, it's just a matter of deciding which are the right resources for all these different companies. Uh, obviously, we can't help everybody, uh, but the, for those who are the, the ones that we can help. Uh, we're not talking about just one person helping. We're talking about a group of partners with various, uh, you know, rich industry experience, industry connections, you know, coming in, helping all these different startups, uh, reaching, you know, what they need. But obviously, predominantly, it's about it's more uh, revenue driven than not. Uh, so, so for for my part, I, I also have uh, some personal favor when it comes to anything impact related. So, impact uh, if you're impact startups. Uh, for example, you're into ad tech, you're into which, you know, health tech included, uh, you're into food tech, uh, agri tech. Now, these are also the kind of, uh, you know, startups that could potentially reach out uh, to us, you know, and, and explore what's actually out there. And uh, it could be a case of exploring a market entry into uh, Asia via uh, Singapore and Taiwan uh, together. Or it can be a case of coming to New Zealand, where I am right now, like doing something here in New Zealand. So, so it could, you know, so uh, uh, between uh, uh, a few of us uh, partners, there's, there's a whole raft of possibilities we can discuss. Sounds exciting. So, um, you know, obviously, it looks like a really, really exciting play and perfect for a time like this where post-COVID, uh, you know, people are thinking about how this is going to change, the ways we're going to work, it's going to be different. Uh, I think having uh, more access to talented uh, professionals who are now looking forward to doing something more exciting as an entrepreneur. Uh, and, and I think it's also it, it's also personally a, a season, right, where Southeast Asia is. Like, we also need more founders to exit, to create more angel investors, right? Like, and we want more of the people who have fought battles before to be the, the seed investors. And I think, I think 
you know, uh, things like Rev would definitely be uh, interesting to keep an eye out for. Um, so I'm, uh, you know, thanks, thanks for your time, uh, Isaac and Jeffrey. Is there any other things that maybe you want to share? How, where, where, where should our listeners uh, get in touch with? Is a website or uh, something that we can reach out? Okay, so uh, we got our website up. Um, the actual mix-up is still in the making, but we have a website, so you can actually look us up at www.venturecraft.vc. You know, you will go there. Then after that, you can look at Rev. Um, so the other ones, of course, is to reach us in LinkedIn or Facebook. You know, we are always there. So give us a shout. All right. Uh, thanks, Isaac. Thanks, Jeffrey. Uh, certainly very exciting. to. Uh, thanks for joining the show. Um, we'll definitely have a link for our viewers to get connected and reach out for Rev. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to The Red Dot Show with Adrian Tan, episode one. Check back in for more podcasts next time. Please subscribe. Thank you.